0: Wildwood Community Church exists to glorify God by connecting people to Christ, His worship, His community, and His mission. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, good morning, Wildwood. Hey, it is great that we're here today. It's wonderful that we've got a chance to gather and, and to worship. And today we're going to be continuing uh, a series that we began last week called Share. Share. A series that really is is focusing on how God has given to us his love in such increasing overflowing measure that it can be shared with those around us. That all who come into contact with believers in Jesus Christ would have an encounter with the love of God because he would love them through us. We anchored our our time last week in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 12. This verse you see on the screen behind me, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. And so we've begun in this series to talk about loving others with an overflowing kind of love as given to us by God. Um, But today we're going to narrow our focus a bit and talk about one expression of that love for others, and that comes as we engage those around us. And we're going to reflect on that and look at that today from God's Word as we look at a particular uh, set of verses in the Gospel of Mark. But before we do that, I want to share with you a a theory that I have about people. And that theory is this, Uh, many, if not most of us, have a people switch inside of us that can be turned on or off. Many, if not most of us, have a people switch inside of us that can be turned on or off. When it's on, we we care about others, we engage with others, we interact with others, but when it's off, we want nothing to do with anybody around us. Now, what does an off and on switch look like inside of a human being? Or around a human being. Now you may not recognize the on and off switches that you have, but you probably do for your roommate, your best friend, your spouse, or your children. You recognize their off switches. Uh, One of the, the most common off switches that I've seen is one of these. When you're out in public and somebody is in public and they've got this and they're doing this, does this say, hey, come talk to me, I want to interact with you? Absolutely not. It says, I want to be any place but right here. I'm going, to, I'm going to get away. I've got two minutes to kill. I'm going to pull this out. What did we used to do in line before we had these? What did we used to do in, in, in all of those? We, I don't know. It's, it's only been a few years, but I've forgotten. This is an off switch. Don't interact with me. I've got more important things to do. What does it look like in your, uh, in your neighborhood? What does your off switch look like there? For, for many of us, this is our off switch in our neighborhood, a garage door opener. Uh, this is what this does. I don't know if you realize this or not, but this says, I'm going to have at least one door between me and you at all times. I'm going to press it to open. I'm going to drive inside. I'm going to press it to close, never to interact with anybody around me, like Batman into the Bat Batcave. <laughs> um, it's an off switch to your neighborhood, to your neighbors. I, I'm going to turn off when I go there. What does it look like maybe in your, in your office? Uh, maybe some of you have a do not disturb button or a sign. I, I just made this this week to hang on the window in my office. Um, this, this is not an inviting symbol. Some of our staff are here. People, when you see this, I, 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 it's there because I, I, I have some things I need to get done. and I love interacting with people, but sometimes you just need some time, right? Um. What does the off switch look like for you? In your living room, maybe your off switch looks a little something like this. A remote control. You sit down and you press the on button here, but really you're turning off everybody else around you. And again, we're used to these things with our, with our spouse, we're used to these things with our roommate, we're used to these things with our kids, but if we're honest, don't all of us have some off switches? We want to turn other people off. Now, We need margin, we need space, we need time. It's okay to decompress and and to not be on all the time. Uh, It's okay to have some of those moments, but here's the reality. Because all of these areas of our life, there's an off switch someplace, many of us spend our lives mostly off when it comes to other people, and we turn on only in the specific appointments where we keep. Sure, we might be on when we 're teaching the class, but we 're off everywhere else we 're on when we 're having that conversation that needs to be had with our kids, but we 're off all the rest of the time that we 're home we 're on when we are arriving at a location, but we 're off on the way there. You know many times we we struggle with these kinds of things right but here 's the thing: I think that God has some great things for us, some wonderful opportunities, some places where he wants to express his love. that that happen in between our appointments. They happen when we realize that we can leave that switch on or turn it on a little bit longer. And today what we're going to do is we're going to look at Mark chapter 5 together. And when we look at Mark 5, what we're going to see is we're going to see Jesus Christ, the Son of God, interacting with people outside of appointments with people. We're going to see him express love to people in times when it seems like it would have been easy for him to turn off. And, and here's why we're going to look at that. When we gather here today, we call the, the church, and this is not our vocabulary, this is what Jesus says, we are the body of what? The body of Christ. Christ. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit resides within followers of Christ. And so as people interact with the church, they should find a community of people who are not turned off but turned on when it comes to those around us. We, we should find people who are engaging to others because that's who Jesus is. He was engaging to others. And we see that demonstrated for us in Mark chapter 5. So if you've got a Bible, open up to Mark 5. We're going to read these verses, a kind of a long section here, 22 verses we're going to read, and then we're going to unpack them a little bit for us. And, and these, these verses detail for us two miracles, two miracles that Jesus worked that happened chronologically, they happened together, um, but I think that there is something to be seen not just in the activity but in their connection, the two stories. And it happens with Jesus interacting with a man named Jairus and and Jesus interacting with a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. The story comes to us again in Mark chapter 5 beginning in verse 21 and this is what it says. It says, when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him and he was beside the sea. Now the sea they're talking about there is the Sea of Galilee, a large lake in northern Israel. And Jesus had gone to one side of this lake and he had performed this miracle. There was this guy who was possessed by a legion of demons. And Jesus had seen him in his trial and his struggle. He had cast out those demons and he had cast them into a herd of pigs who had run into the water and had drowned. And had caused such a stir, it had made such a scene, made such an impression that Jesus decided to withdraw from that place and go back to the probably the northwest side of this lake, which was kind of his home base. And when Jesus arrived back on the northwest shores of the Sea of Galilee, there are people who have, have gathered there to interact and to meet with him. Verse 22 tells us, Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? Now, think about this scene. There are people thronging about Jesus. There are people on every side of him. There are people touching him everywhere. And yet Jesus says, who touched me? My, my wife and I, a number of years ago, were in Times Square, New York City, on New Year's Eve. We're not that cool. We just happened to be there that one time, and and uh, you know that that's a place where there are like a million people in this little small area. And I remember after the ball dropped, that million people all headed back this way and kind of carried me along in the process. And there were people touching you on every side, and you're hoping you stay with your group and all this kind of stuff. That's kind of the scene that you get here. There there's so many people pressing around around Jesus, and yet Jesus said. Who touched me? The disciples are like, that's a weird thing to ask when people are touching you on every side. But Jesus made that kind of, of attention, drew that kind of attention because he wanted to interact with this woman who had just been healed. He wanted her to know that she was not healed by accident. She was healed by an intentional decision from a sovereign God, responding to her faith and giving her her request. Verse 32 continues, Jesus looked around to see who had done it, but the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Jairus' friends show up and say, Don't bother Jesus anymore. You've waited too long. The trip took too long. Your daughter's dead. But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside, and he took the child's father and mother and those who were with him, and he went in where the child was. And taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, Arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years of age and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Now, we have these two miracles. And before we we dive in to look at Jesus engaging these two different, very different people, Jairus and This woman, before we we look at those two miracles together, I think it's important for us to not lose sight of the headline. If you were a newspaper reporter and you were present this day, what would be the headline over this story? What do you think? Real real question, I want to hear. Yes, Jesus raises little, you could work for the Oklahoman, Debbie, that's beautiful. Uh, Jesus raises little girl. Right? There is a resurrection that happens here. Now, sometimes we get used to resurrection because it's the Bible and there's a resurrection. And you might come to church only on Easter. And every time you come to church, they're talking about a resurrection. Um, but, but here's the deal. Resurrections are very uncommon. A very few number of these have ever taken place like this. This is big news. Jesus raised this little girl from the dead. You know, in, in a second story, maybe a page two, we might have this, this also thing, woman who bled for 12 years is also healed. You know, that would be the continuation on the inside cover, but, but clearly the headline is the resurrection, and, and, and today we're not going to focus on that part. That's a great message. There's great truth there, but today, instead of focusing on that, I want to, to talk about the mix of these two miracles together. Because I think there's a message that God wants us to see by the telling and the happening of these two events side by side. It's interesting, all three of the what are called the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the, the guys that put the most detail in about the life of Christ and in his in his story, all three of them include both of these miracles happening at the same sequence of events. That gives us a pretty good idea that these events really happened this way chronologically. It's not just some kind of... A, Literary Liberty, but they really happened together. But I think a sovereign God had these events happen back to back because he wants you and I to see something about the character of our God and who he chooses to engage and interact with. Because when you mix up these two miracles, what you see is a number of contrasts between two very different people that show that God is interested in all people. Jesus's switch was not off. Based on who he was talking to, it was, it was always on. I want to point out seven contrasts between these two just so we can see the differences between Jairus and this woman who was healed. The first difference is somewhat obvious. There's a name and there's a nameless person. What's the name of the man in this story? Not Jesus, but the name is Jairus, Right? But the woman, what's her name? We don't know. It's not mentioned. Jairus was, it says, a ruler of the synagogue. He was an important guy. He was locally famous. He was someone who had a reputation in the community that was positive. People wanted to be around him. But the woman, they didn't even know her name. Or if they knew it, they didn't think it was important to include it. Most likely, this woman who was bleeding for 12 years would have been kind of a social outcast, and she probably didn't even live in this area. Someone who had a condition like this would have been deemed unclean and would have been isolated socially in their day. It's possible that she traveled from a distant area of Israel to come and and meet up with Jesus, and she was able to get as close as she was to him because nobody knew her there. And what we see in this is that Jesus engages the famous and the non famous. He's interested in all people. The church should be interested in the famous and the non famous and everyone in between because we are the body of Christ. We should engage with all regardless of reputation. Second contrast we see again, these are really obvious things, but we have a man and a woman. Jairus is a man. The woman is a woman. Now, that's just a, a plot point we see here, but it was significant in their day. In the first century, uh, there was a very much a, a patriarchal society that existed where, where men were seen as, as valuable or a higher social status than women. Of course, in the church, that whole idea is, is challenged and eradicated um, by this identity that happens when people come to faith in Christ, Paul talked about it in Galatians chapter three and verse twenty-eight. That there is no longer slave nor free, male or female; that all men and women are equal recipients—not the word identical, but are equal recipients of the blessing of God. And so, when Jesus is engaging and interacting with men and women, he's saying, "Hey, this is there's there's no there's no gender bias here." But all can engage God. All can interact with him. God is interested in all of us. He welcomes all of us. Next distinction we see comes in uh, their economics. Jairus was a ruler of the synagogue. And that that did not mean he was a priest. It meant that he helped care for the facility of a synagogue. Uh, Most of the people in, in this day who had that role were people of means. Somebody that had some wealth. But what about the woman? Well, the passage tells us. We don't know much about her, but we know that she had no money. She had spent what little money she had on some physicians who were unable to heal her. The rich and the poor are engaged by Jesus Christ. That The church should not be a place that is divided economically. We shouldn't care only and engage only with those who are of one socioeconomic status or another. But we are called to engage all people, this this passage shows us that Jesus engages all people. Next distinction we see has to do with this period of time, this this 12 years. The little girl was was how old? 12 years. For 12 years, she had given life to her family. For 12 years, she had been someone who was fun to be around. You, so many of you have either had children this age or you've been around children this age. You have children in your home this age at this point. Zero to 12 years' full life. For 12 years, there had been life given through this, this girl, and what do we find out about the woman in 12 years? For 12 years, there have been sorrow and affliction. What we see there is that Jesus was engaging with people regardless of how much fun they were to be around at the party. He wasn't saying, wow, this this person is really fun. I'm going to give my attention to them. But this person has just always got some problem and I'm going to avoid them. See, Jesus engages with both. The church should be engaging to all people regardless of our situation. The next thing we see is the difference of their kind of problem. Jairus is bringing what seems to be an acute problem. His daughter was sick leading to the point of death. That's an acute situation. There's no indication that she had been sick for a lifetime. She's sick in a moment, and she's getting ready to die, and eventually she's going to die. It's an acute situation. But the woman is in a situation that's not so acute. It's more chronic. It's ongoing. And sometimes we we lose sight of this inside of the church, right? Right? The person that has the acute situation, we, we're attentive to those things. Uh, somebody gets a new cancer diagnosis or, or somebody is going through a crisis that, is, that, is, that just springs up. It's acute. People run and they care and they engage. But what about the person that has the chronic need? The person whose illness has kept them homebound from gathering with other believers for years now. It's easy for us to forget them. Jesus doesn't forget. Jesus doesn't forget. He engages those who have the acute problem. He engages those that have the chronic problem, and we as the body of Christ are called to do the same. The next distinction we see has to do with with worship. Jairus is a a leader in worship. Again, he wasn't a priest, but he was somebody that helped arrange worship to be led in the synagogue. Uh, He was like maybe we might think about an elder in, in our Church economy today. Um, the woman, though, would have been forbidden to worship. According to the Levitical law, because of her discharge of blood, she would have been deemed unclean and, and unable to gather and to worship God. You have a leader of worship, you have one who is told you cannot worship. In both, Jesus engages. You know, the idea for us is that, that Jesus is not just interested in engaging with the church leader with the pastor but he's also interested in in all people there's no there's no preference there some of you had heard me say this before but one of the interesting things that happens when you're a pastor is you're asked to pray at every family gathering and again the idea is that we have the hotline we have the direct contact um, you know, that, the, that everybody else is dialing a 1-800 number and getting customer support, but somehow we have the cell phone. Um, that's, that's kind of the picture or the idea uh, when you're a pastor. Now, if, if my, my, my parents, uh, my in-laws, if you're hearing this, I love to pray. I love to talk to God, but, but I'm not praying because I'm the only one with a hotline, right? You see, Jesus engages with people regardless of their status inside the church. He's engaging them. Seventh comparison that we're going to see has to do with the timing. Jairus makes an appointment with Jesus. Jairus comes and, and says, hey, Jesus, I want to make an appointment for you to follow me to my house so you can heal my daughter. And Jesus says, yes. It's as if they have this little moment where Jesus goes, yep, the schedule's clean. I'm going to put that in for 1230 today. It'll take us an hour to get there. Let's go. There was an appointment. But what about the woman? It feels like an accident. Now, Jesus stops and engages with her, right? He he makes sure that she knows that he is intentionally healing her. He he, he has that tender moment with her along the road. But from just the, the as the plot develops, it looks like an accident. And sometimes we can begin to think the same thing, that that somehow Jesus wants us to, to engage. In the appointments of our life, but not in the stuff in between, and what we see is that the the body of Christ, because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, the body of Christ is called to love in the appointments, but also in the in between times, in the appointments, but also in the things that we would see as accidents, coincidence in the hand of a sovereign God and what we see from mixing these two miracles is that we are called to engage that Jesus is engaged with us and he wants to engage with the world around us through us all the time. That he wants us to not spend our life mostly off but he wants us to spend our lives increasingly on as it relates to other people. Now, we mix these two miracles together. Now I want us to talk about maxing out two opportunities that we have to share the increasing, overflowing love of God around us. Two arenas, two opportunities, two venues where we can, can love others. And, and the first opportunity, the first venue that we have is inside the church to engage those inside the church. Again, we saw last week in First Thessalonians chapter three that we are uh, to. We're praying that the Lord would make us increase and abound in love for one another. That's internal language. Those inside the church. And one of the ways that we can increase and overflow in love for one another is that we can engage those around us. Now, there's a couple of different ways I want to challenge us to engage those around us inside the church. And and, and the first way that I see is just that we would get to know each other. That sounds so basic. That sounds so simple. But that we would just get to know one another. You know, last, last week I had you kind of look around. I want you to do that again. Just kind of look around. There's people down your row. This is really awkward for many of you, I know, and, and I'm, I'm not just trying to do some kind of weird social experiment. But, you know, you, there, there's people around you, and the increasing overflowing love of God in your life is intended to spill over to those who are around you as we gather in the name of Jesus to worship and yet we're, we're challenged in those expressions because we just don't know each other very well. We feel like we should know each other, but we really don't. And, and one of the evidences of that is that as we have, have grown as a church and, and over time, there are people around us that we should know their name, but we don't. I mean, has that ever happened to anybody in this room? Where you feel like, you know what, I shook their hand before you know what, I remember something we talked about before, but right now I cannot remember their name. And you know what, you might, the first couple of times, might do a a hi buddy or a hey there or or something generic, Um, but you start thinking that's getting awkward, and pretty soon you start avoiding each other because there is something you're missing about them. And so if that's the case, if there is any truth in that for you, uh, we're going to try something today that you're going to think may be a little hokey, a little weird, but we're going to try it anyway. And, and, and that is this. We're going to declare today name amnesty day at Wildwood Community Church. Name amnesty day. And here's the deal. We're, I'm going to give you permission to not know everybody's name. Okay. But I'm also going to challenge us to interact with one another. And so here's how we're going to do that. In your seat back in in front of you, there are some hello, my name is name tags. Now, many of you, their eyes rolling right now. It's it's a deep room, but I know they're out there, but hang with me for a minute, okay? This name tag, here's what I want you to do. I want everybody to take one out. You guys in the front row are not exempt. There's nobody in front of you. You're like, this is why I sit up here so I don't have to grab things out of the seat back in front of me. I want you to grab something behind you. And if there's not there, you can move around a little bit. There's plenty of name tags in this room, but I want everybody to get a name tag and I want you to get it right now. So go ahead and grab it. We're gonna take some time to really do this. And then I want you to grab a writing device of some kind. There's pens in the seatbacks. So we've thought of everything. And I want you to grab those. You may have brought one with you. And I want to grab that pen. And I want you to take and in that blank, I want you to write your real name. Okay. Don't put Jethro if your name is Steve, uh, just to mess us up. Okay. I want you to write your real name. And then after you do that, if, if you, you have a, a sheet that had another. Uh, one on there, I want you to put it back. If, if it's empty, you can throw it away. But I want you to take that name tag and I want you to put it on your body, okay? And here's, this This is gonna do two things. First of all, this is like an I voted today sticker. You know, like, I mean, we know you were in church today, right? So you have a name tag on. But uh, that's, I'm kidding about that. But here, here's, what it, here's what we're going to do. We're going to use this to be more friendly and to get to know one another. And, but here's what some of you are thinking. Okay, fine, you gave me a name tag. But it's still going to be awkward for me to have to look at someone else's name tag. So here's what I'm giving you permission to do. As a matter of fact, I'm challenging you. I want you to do this, okay? And and that is this if I'm gonna say hi to my friend Jason here, even though Jason and I know each other, uh, you can stand up. um, I'm gonna gonna, say hi to him, I'm gonna look right here and go, Hi, Jason, how are you? I want you to do that. I want Everybody, when you say hello to anybody, I want you to look square at their name tag, exaggerate it. Really look at it. Look at their name and then say hello to them, okay? Um, we're going to do that to help get to know uh, each other a little better, okay? You might, you might be sitting next to your spouse. I want you to do that to your spouse too. You, you're okay. You can do that today because um, I want to really make sure that we, we have a chance to say hello because here's the thing. We cannot extend the love of Christ around us if we don't know each other. And I want you to know each other. And so as we know each other, I mean, you know, we, we, have, we have group launch coming up next week and there's small groups and there's all kinds of great ways to connect in a community that's more intimate. But even as we gather here in this room, even as we walk by each other in the gathering hall, let's engage one another. Let's have our switches on when we're in this place. Let's get to know one another, get to know each other's name. And as we begin to get to know one another, find something about their story. Everybody in this room has got a story. And 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 that, that 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 story is is a window into something exciting and great in their life, you know, and and just begin to get to know their story just a little bit. You know, Craig and Kim, you know, know something about their story. Get get to get to know it just a little bit. Donna, Martha, get to know their story, just a little bit. Richard and Maria, get to know their story. Something about them. We, this room is full of stories of things that God has done. We have the privilege of beginning to interact with them. And as we begin to know one another, here's the next thing I want us to do. I want us to kneel. I want us to pray for those in the body that we begin to get to know. That we would, we would drop to our knees and we would pray. And here's the thing. When, when you get to know somebody, and we're gonna have a chance, even at the end of our service today, to interact a little bit. As you begin to get to know somebody, I want you just to make this commitment. When you're leaving here on a Sunday, and it it could be just on the way out, it could be when you get home, it could be just tonight, you could commit to this every day. It could be one minute, two minutes, five minutes, but I want you to take just a minute and pray for that person that you interacted with. Wouldn't it be wonderful to have a, a body of people that were really praying for one another, really lifting one another up, and the reminder for that is the interactions that we have And the names that we learn that remind us and bring to our mind these people, these gifts that God has given around us that we would be able to bring them before the throne of grace together. Folks, let's engage when we're in this place. Wildwood is a place that is amazing in appointments. We have more people serving in in different roles and ministry areas than than almost any church I know of our size. It's such a blessing. We do great in appointments. But here's the thing I think God could grow us in this year. He could grow us in the accidents. He could grow us in the day-to-day, the moment-by-moment, the in-betweens. See, one of the things we can do is we can engage in this opportunity inside the church. The second thing is we can engage in this opportunity outside the church as well. God has given us this love, not just that we would share it on Sunday, but that we would share it on every moment of our lives. And you know what? We, we all have these, these venues, these arenas where we live our lives, places where we go, things like the gym and the school where our kids attend or where we attend, uh, the office, the neighborhood, the, the, the house, the 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 hobby group that we're a part of we all have these things but here's the thing when we live out our lives and be honest in many of those arenas of our lives we go there with our people switch off and because of that we miss out on some opportunities so here's the deal I want to challenge everybody in this room. I know some of you are thinking, you're thinking, oh no. what's he going to say? He's going to say that we need to turn on in every area of our life. That's going to be exhausting. You don't know me. I'm an introvert. This is, you're freaking me out right now. I'm never coming back here. You're going to make me feel bad. Relax, okay? Relax. Here's the challenge. The challenge is to pick one of those arenas of your life, just one, where you want your switch to be more on in that arena this year than it's been in the past. We all need rest, we all need decompress, we all need time, but pick one. or Maybe it's your neighborhood. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's school, maybe it's the gym, maybe it's the office, wherever. One area that you wanna be on a little more. And then when that switch is on, you're engaging those around you a little more in that area. And as you're engaging those around you a little more, You can begin to think, what are some ways, not that I can just go there, but what are some ways that I can show the love of Christ in that area? Can I serve them in some way? Can I pray for them? Can I interact with them? Can I invite them? Something we're going to talk more about next week. Can I engage them in conversation about Christ? What does that look like for you in those areas? But just, it begins by just engaging in an area that currently your switch is off. What's that area? Think about that. Now. I want to end our time today, and and in just a moment we're going to end, and we're really going to have a chance uh, to interact with those around us. I I want to make sure we've got time for that today. Um, But before we do that, I want to just say this. If you're here today and you are on the edges of Christianity, somebody invited you to church, maybe you've been a while, maybe this is your first time but as you're, you're here and you're, you're hearing about this, you walk in here as someone who wonders if the Son of God is interested in you. You wonder if he is interested in engaging with you. Well, here's the thing we need to remember from this story and from the entirety of the New Testament, and this applies to every single person of this room, whether this is your first time here or your hundredth time here or your thousandth time here. We have evidence in history that demonstrates for us that the Son of God knows us. From when we were created in our mother's womb through the interactions of our life today, the the Son of God knows us. The Son of God is kneeling for us. He is praying for us. We have evidence of that from the Scriptures. The the Son of God is is, is praying for us. And he he has come. When, When it says go, he's already came. He came into this earth to show us his love by dying on the cross for our sins. And that level of engagement, that level of offer is extended to all of us and all of us are given the opportunity to respond to that engagement in faith and pass from death to life. And if you're here today and you have never responded to the engagement of the Son of God in faith, that can change today, right now, in this moment where you can place your faith and your trust in him. So let me pray for us. Father, I thank you so much for the love that you have for us. I I thank you for for how you have shown us that love through Christ and you provide a way for us to be with you forever. And Father, thank you that you uh, offer that engagement. You offer that, that that hope for us and you ask merely that we respond in faith. And Father, if there is any today who have never placed their faith and their trust in Christ, I pray that today, this morning, in this moment, they would do so. They would trust in Jesus Christ for their eternity right where they sit right now. And Father, for all of us, I pray that as we continue to respond to the engagement that you've extended towards us, the love that you've extended towards us. I pray that you would help us to continue to overflow that inside and outside the church as we relate to one another. We thank you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to end our service a little differently today. And we're going to end it by practicing some of what we just talked about. And so on Name Amnesty Sunday... I'm going to give you a chance to interact with somebody that maybe you don't normally interact with, and this is going to be highly uncomfortable for some of you, and for others of you, you're like, I've been waiting for this and asking for this for weeks, but we're going to get through it together, okay? And so I want you to find somebody that you don't normally interact with, and I want you to just say hello, and remember, how are you going to say hello to them? You're going to say, hi, Sam. You know, and you're going to do that. We're going to do that because we, I want us to know each other. I want us to get to know each other. So we're going to begin that way and then just have a little bit of conversation. Um, otherwise, you are dismissed. So find someone around you, say hello, and we'll see you next week.